1: Today is October the 10th, 2017, 10 10 17. It's a Tuesday for a just, it's Tuesday, so it's time for a just jack show. Let's right take a single thing or component or idea or skill set or something like that and I break it down and talk about it for a while. And uh, today we're going to do one that I guess will get appended to the insurrection series. And it is going to be titled uh, Decision Making with Logic and Reason. And and, and you almost think, like, why the hell would you have to do a show like this? Well, when we get into it, I, I think it'll become abundantly clear. But what I'll kind of lead off with today is a quote by Albert Einstein. If you go to today's episode, you'll see a picture of old Al there. And you'll see the following quote attributed to him, which is a valid, true quote from Einstein. Sometimes the Einstein quotes aren't actually true. Like I saw one recently that said, I fear the day that men will make memes of me on the Internet with things I never said. Albert Einstein. (laughs) But this one's valid, and it is. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift, and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant. And has forgotten the gift. I'll let you ponder that for a bit. Today's show is going to be a little different. I don't really have a typical uh, sponsor segment, so I'm because I'm going to talk to you about two different things that I've got going on, and I don't want to overly lengthen the show. So I'm going to do an audible with that today, and consider the, the promotional stuff to be the two things that I have coming today, and we'll come back to the regularly scheduled programming tomorrow. Uh, the first is I want to let you know I did put out a post today about the quail tracker system. Got some questions coming in about it. Um, the 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 Kickstarter will be launched on Monday, and we'll be answering questions there. If you ask questions on the post, I may or may not get to answer them understand the quail tracker is something I'm a partner in. I've got two partners, one named Brad and one named Steve, and uh, I'm going to leave it to them to answer the main questions because they did the primary development, and Steve's actually doing the manufacturing and stuff like that. Uh, so I am a, a third of this venture. It's called Home Food Systems it is the entire venture, and we will be in the future bringing additional things uh, to help produce food from backyards at home. What I kind of wanted to point out about the purpose of the quail tracker system today though and why we did this is it's really designed so that people that want to produce meat and eggs sustainably in their own backyard in areas where chickens are not possible or maybe you just don't want them or you just want quail can do so in a way that actually lets the birds live outside like birds Have access to you know greens and bugs and stuff like that, um, and yet have them be protected because a quail is not a chicken, and a quail that is free is quickly a dead quail. Uh, Just the the neighborhood cats will eat your quail, uh, let alone a lot of other things. And quail, cortnex quail, Japanese quail are not meant to live outside. They have been bred for thousands of years to be captive animals. So we had to find a balance in that. And uh, I think we've done a good job with that. And the big thing is we wanted to do this in a way where if a person had full-blown permaculture going on, it just fit right in. But if you lived in an HOA with the most tyrannical Nazi-like blue hairs on the planet policing your HOA, you could still produce high-quality meat and eggs for your family and process compost and do all kinds of other really great stuff. That's what I think we have out of the quail tracker and again, if you want to, go to the Survival Podcast, scroll down, you can see the announcement that I did about it, learn some information, you can check out the website. You can even check out the Kickstarter that's not launched yet. Uh, you can find your way to it from the website if you really want to, and you can start taking a look at it. But we're going to launch it Monday, and I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much done with the preliminaries on this until Monday, and we'll talk about it again Monday when it's actually a live kickstart. I just wanted to give you a heads up and kind of build some excitement about it, because it there was almost two years of work that went into this, and it was because we thought this was really simple. The three of us sat down and came up with an idea. We built it. We stuck it out, and we went, it doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. This is a problem. The quail can't really access the ground the way that we wanted to. Putting a, a slant in it to make the eggs roll like in a rack system doesn't really work here. Uh, that might be too heavy, that might be too bulky, that might be too large. How are we going to make sure that they can you know, have shelter from the elements? How do we provide shit Like all of that shit, we actually ran these systems. Uh, I ran some here even though I have no need to run this product because I have an aviary. I have, a 10, I have a 500 square foot aviary for quail. And if you have a 500 square foot aviary for quail, this product's not for you. But I ran it anyway to make sure we had every I dotted, every T crossed. So that's the whale tracker. Next is Crypto Gulch. So this is probably going to launch, let me look at this, I believe it's around the 25th, the week of the 25th anyway, of October, Ben will be ready to go ahead and launch Crypto Gulch, which will be where we mine for you. Except it's not we, it's Ben and his team mine for you. I am nothing but an advisor and a very small affiliate on uh, crypto gulch but i wanted to talk about something that i've been getting questions about for people that have been following this the price went up and the fee went up okay well first of all price didn't go up and the fee didn't go up because there was no set price and there was no set fee when you look at a website that's in progress it's a draft website says right across the top no orders will be fulfilled right then you know whatever you're looking at can and probably will change but the price actually went down Per GPU. And GPUs are the, the graphics processing units that mine, that actually do the mining of the crypto. And it's the only financially viable way to do things right now. CPUs just are not viable any longer. They're not powerful enough. So, what we changed, or what Ben changed, I should say, with my advice, was the original idea was you bought the GPUs and he provided everything else. And when we looked at that, it didn't make a lot of financial sense, and it really was a a situation where Ben would end up losing. And you don't want the company you're doing business with to lose because then you lose too. Okay, that's basics. Like you have to start thinking differently when you're thinking about something as a business unit versus I want what I want because I bought it. All right? So this is a business unit where you're basically hiring someone to do some of the work for you. So what Ben's doing now, he's selling the the cooling system that allows the box to mount into the rack. The box that houses all of the GPU cards and the cards. And he's selling it as a startup kit and then an addition. So what he's come down to now, and this is probably going to be the final pricing, is as follows. A two GPU starter package. That's what you have to buy to get started, period. Okay, what that includes again is the, the, the box that houses everything, the mounting equipment that helps it cool and holds it in the rack and does all that stuff so it doesn't like cook itself to death, right? Because you have to have that or you will burn up your equipment. And two GPUs. The original pricing model that he was thinking about was $750 a GPU. The new price per GPU is $600. That's $150 or less. You're buying more equipment, you own more equipment. What this means is if you say, Ben, I'm sick of your shit, I want my equipment, how much does it cost to ship? He gets you a shipping quote, they pull it out of the rack, they put it in the box, they send it to you, it gets to your house, you plug it in, it starts running and mining for you. Got it? And that makes it viable for the customer. That's why I suggested that. The advantage is, the box holds six GPUs. So what happens when you want your seventh GPU? Well, you have to buy another box, right? Nope. Nope. The way this is set up now, it works to scale, which is important. So that if you get to where you want to add a seventh GPU, an eighth GPU, a ninth GPU, they're six hundred dollars a piece. You never buy the base equipment again, but you get the base equipment. So when you get to seven, you get a new box. You get a new. You get what you're paying two thousand dollars to get started with for six hundred dollars. So if you wanted to grow to twelve GPUs over time, this is much more cost effective now, and it makes a lot more sense. And then Ben is making enough money to pay for things like insurance. Yeah, because this is not his closet. This is in a facility that he's got rent, insurance on the equipment in the facility, electricity, all of that good stuff, staff. They're doing the programming, the research. Like you're asking somebody to do a lot of work for you here. You, and again, I'm back to this on Crypto Gulch. If your take is, well, I can build all this and do it myself, then you should do that. Then you should do that. If you hire people in a business, okay, then you have to pay them a viable rate or they stop working for you and go work for somebody else. This is an entrepreneurial play. Now, the way I look at it is like this. Um, tell me a place where I can get the ROI on my money relatively safely anywhere else right now. Think about it. Like I'm saying, like you put money into an annuity. How much money would you have to put into an annuity right now to give yourself a $100 a month return? That's the way that I'm coming at this. And if it doesn't make sense for you that way, don't do it. I'm not pushing this thing. I'm offering it to people that understand it and want to be part of it. I've had a bunch of people, I want to do this, I want to do this, but I don't even understand cryptocurrency. Stop. Don't do this. If you don't know what cryptocurrency is and you don't understand cryptocurrency and you don't know why you would even want cryptocurrency... Go look up uh, uh, Amanda's thing on the Dash channel for Dash School and watch the sixth video tutorial to understand the basics of cryptocurrency. Set up a Coinbase account, buy a couple hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, get ten bucks for free from Coinbase, play with it a little bit, learn more about. It. Do not do this if you do not understand it. I mean, that's as you know honest as I can be about it. So that covers those two. That's our promo for today, and I want to go now into the main topic of today's show, which, again, is making rational, logical decisions. Which, if you're going to buy the, the Quail Tracker or participate in Crypto Gulch, I want you to use everything that I teach you today, which will res- And this is the important part. It will result in many of you going, wow, this isn't for me. That's how you know we're freaking honest about what we do. We want people to work with us that are a good fit for what we do in any of the ventures that we go forward with. That makes you less in the short term, but it gives you better trust, faith, and longevity in the long term. And that's what's really important building a business. All right. So, going into today's topic, here's what I want to lead off with. Here's a fact. And whether you like it or not, it won't change the fact that this is indeed a fact. Okay. The American people have been systematically programmed to be unable to make rational logical decisions over many generations. I believe that is a fact. I will I will stipulate that in reality it is my opinion. But it is my opinion based on so many facts that I feel it is a very factual opinion, okay? Cuz I mean, I can't make definitive statements without concrete proof and do today's show without sounding like an ass card. So I will say it is my opinion, yet it is my opinion based on a lot of facts. And I believe there's two key tenets to this. And it doesn't necessarily have to be by design. On some levels, I believe it is by design. On some levels, I believe it is because these are the systems we've chosen. This is the natural result. But then as that result begins to come in, the people in power comprehend it and run with it. And we have these two main tenets, and the one is the state. And when I say the state, I mean the state slash the education system, because it is the education system by which this entire thing is delivered to people from a very, very young age. And again, some of this is by... Happenstance. It's not all, you know, it's not like it's a vast conspiracy of like 20 guys meeting in a room that are the new world order for the 1800s going, how do we do this excellent like Mr. Burns? Some levels of making the decision to have the type of education system that we have today led to this being inevitable. But then again, I feel the people in power went, oh, this is what we have now. Here's how we use it to our advantage because that's what people in power do. The problem we have with the modern education system is that children are taught to learn a thing, repeat a thing, and defend a thing, but never to determine a thing. Every concept in our education system is based on a single correct answer, and the student never determines anything for themselves. Now, I understand some of this is inevitable. If some of this is, in fact, necessary, I can't teach you that 2 plus 2 is 4, but maybe it's not. right? If I want you to understand basic mathematics, and I understand the etherical concepts and all, where 2 plus 2 may not always be 4, but in the general, concrete world of mathematics, it is important that a child learn 2, and 2 equals 4 things. If I have 2 things and 2 other things, and I put them together, now I have 4 things. And if I have two things that take away two of those things and they go somewhere else, now I'm left with two things. That's that's okay. And that leads to a textbook blueprint for how we're going to teach. Water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit or 100 degrees centigrade. If I ask you the boiling point of water, you need to know that number for you to have mastered the concept of when water boils based on the way that we measure it. Okay, so I'm not in of itself criticizing that. I'm saying that we have created a system where that is so boilerplate to everything that we teach that we never sent a child out on a journey of true discovery. And even when we give ourselves the illusion that we've done, like the report, right? So we'll say, well, you have a, a major report due the second semester of the year. Okay, and it will be in science class. And they might say, you have to do your report. Let's say, Johnny, you must do your report on photosynthesis. Or they might say, you can do anything in the realm of physical science or whatever it is. But in the end, the methodology by which they teach a child to do this report involves now going on the Internet. When I was a kid going to the library, looking shit up in encyclopedias and basically gathering information, assembling that information, and presenting that information as an assemblage. Of known information. And it's closer to a discovery. It's also four, three or four percent of what students do. Okay. But it's still not really a journey of discovery. Because it never even started out with the concept of, Johnny, what do you want to know? See, for it to truly be a journey of discovery, it would have to begin with, Johnny, what do you want to know? So we never have children or students. When they get older, I don't know know, how long you call a child a child. Are they a child when they're 16? Are they a child when they're 18 in high school? Are they a child when they're 19 in college? We don't have students go off on a journey of true discovery. Because we can teach a child English and math and science using any subject of discovery that they choose to go off on. But we don't. Because it's very hard to institutionalize and systematize that. It's much more of a a self-directed learning, which doesn't fit the agenda. So by the very nature of the method by which we teach, children are taught there's a right and wrong answer to every question, and that the answer has been determined by people in authority that you must submit to. Okay. Then the second component to this is the industry and media. So media really is part of industry. So Fox News is an industrial company, but I, I put a slash in the notes so that we could make a distinction that we do include media. We're not just talking about people that build things and make tires and rims and cars, right? And factories. Industry as a whole. Industry is all about marketing and you have to understand what marketing really is marketing in of itself is not something evil it's like a gun it's how do we use it marketing is simply telling a story that's all marketing really is you'll like the quail tracker because it lets you raise quail here's how right that's marketing but what we have with modern marketing is the epitome of dichotomy everything's boiled down to a versus b And this is done with direct marketing, online, and entertainment, etc. You need this because, or you're a dummy. That's like the summation of modern marketing. Like, you're an idiot if you don't have this. Or you're not cool if you don't have this. You're not with the in crowd if you don't have this. Your old thing that I don't even know about sucks, and you need this to replace it. This is how marketing and sales are accomplished. But it's not just marketing and sales of things that you would buy. It's marketing and sales of political opinion. So, we have told you that Kim Jong-ding-dong in North Korea is a crazy madman that wants to unleash an EMP on America to shut down our electric grid and kill everybody, and you need to believe that because we told you. Or you're a dummy. right? That I mean, that's, that's everything that they do is presented in this dichotomic way. I mean, the... I mean, one of the most obvious uses of the dichotomy was back in the 80s, if you're old enough to remember this, the Pepsi Challenge. We went out in the streets to determine if Coca-Cola really was America's favorite soft drink. So we took Coca-Cola drinkers, and we gave them an ounce of Pepsi and an ounce of Coke, and we had them try it, and here's the results. I like the Pepsi better! Pepsi's better! Yay! Well, aren't there a lot of things you can drink other than the watered-down corn syrup fizzly crap that is Pepsi or Coke like water and tea and beer and I mean I don't know right like but we what they did was they they boiled it down to this simplistic thing and that's how they've done everything from politics to education to entertainment it doesn't matter what it is it's been boiled down in a dichotomic view. And long-term listeners should be on full permaculture-style pattern recognition right now. Like, your pattern recognition alert should be like, (sniffs) industry and government working together. (laughs) Mental computer goes off. Fascism! Neo-fascism! Now, if you're new and you hear neo-fascism... You might be like, oh, he's talking about Nazis. There's no neo-Nazis in America. Listen, you've got to give me time to make my case to you so you can evaluate it and make an informed decision about it. Okay, If you're new to TSP, understand that neo-fascism has nothing to do with neo-Nazism. Zero. No, that's old neo-fascism, and hence is no longer neo. You see, my friends, to understand a word, you must define it And most people that run around flipping out the term neo-anything, neoconservatism, neo-this, neo-Nazi, neo-... neo neo Don't know... Okay, stop. Stop. What does the the prefix neo mean? What does it mean by itself, apart from whatever word you're appending it to? Because you can't know what you're doing when you create a word like neo-fascism if you don't know what the prefix neo-means. Neo means a combining of form, meaning new, recent, revived, modified, used in the formation of compound words. That's not my opinion. That is legitimate fact, right? That is a fact. Neo, when we use it in a term like neo-fascist or neo-conservative, really means new, revived, modified, fill in the blank. So I'm just going to say World War II ended 72 years ago. So there's nothing new about Hitler's fascism. No, today's new fascism is right here in America. Fascism is a form of government where industry and government work together and see them as, quote, these are more facts when I give you the quotes here, mediators between the classes. That's a hallmark of fascism. And feel that, quote, the difference between the classes are to be used to an advantage, that's another fact, in, quote, achieving the goals of both the state and industry. This is fascism at its core. All of the other types of things that you've been told about fascism were in their day, the neo-fascism of the day. Franco's fascism in Spain was dramatically different and modified from the fascism in Germany of Hitler. Hans Mussolini also had his own version of fascism. And you can make something quite evil like fascism look very, glo- gl- you know, velvet lined glove, velvet lining on the outside, but it's still got a steel core to punch you in the face on the inside. So, you know, we don't need to go deep into this today, but our new fascism we have is we have the largest per capita prison population on the planet, but no concentration camps. We're the freest nation in the world, but we put more people in prison than any other nation. We put more people in prison per capita than China. We put more people in prison per capita than North Korea. But we're the freest nation in the world. The old fascists. And we have an oligarchy standing in for a totalitarian dictator. So instead of a Hitler, we have a totalitarianism that is based on industry-controlling government versus government-controlling industry in the fascism that you learned about in school. We call it crony capitalism, but what it really is? Modern neo-fascism. Very well-tuned machine of neo-fascism. And with such a system, it's inevitable that all decision-making will end up dubbed down to a dichotomy where the side you are on is right, and the side you're not on is always wrong in how you think. Such a people can't be expected to form original opinions, and frankly, for those in charge, such a thing is undesirable. That's what we're at today. So, let's start out with, what is a dichotomy versus a false dichotomy? Well, I mean, Because the dichotomy in of itself is not an inappropriate word, and it's not an inappropriate word that can be used to describe something in situations. A dichotomy, to use an extreme example, to prevent any wiggling away from it, because what I'm going everything I'm going to teach today after this is going to be how to wiggle away from a dichotomy. To, to get to a point where you can say, well, that's not exactly the only two choices we have here. Right? Because then you're thinking. But I'm going to give you one that's pretty much inevitable to be a dichotomy. There are ten men with rifles pointed at your chest, and some evil emperor in some fictitious land has ordered your execution. You are to be given the choice to be executed by being shot, or you're standing at the edge of a cliff, you are free to leap to your death. The cliff is 2,000 feet tall, there's no way you're going to survive leaping, and if you do, they're going to drag you back up there and make you make the decision again, like Homer Simpson on escape. You're going to... And you cannot charge. There's 10 people with guns trained on you. They all will shoot you. That's a dichotomy. You have two choices. You get to jump off the cliff or you get to get shot. Either way, you're going to die. There's no option C. That's a true dichotomy. That's a true dichotomy. Another dichotomy that's actually, I think, a legitimate dichotomy is your choice to believe or not believe in God. There's not really a third option. As a deist, I would promote that my option kind of is a third option, but it really isn't. You either believe in some level of intelligence beyond what we understand, or you do not. You have to either decide that the universe was created by accident, or that some intelligence designed it. That life arose from a random happenstance of organic molecules and natural forces. There was no life one day, and the next second, life arose popped into being and then evolved into everything that we know, or some intelligent force with some intention of some kind caused that to occur. There's really not a third option there. Now, there's different versions of atheism, theism, and deism, but either there is or there isn't. That's a dichotomy. Now, if you can wiggle out of that one, good. 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 Because coming up with a third option there is quite difficult. Those are dichotomies. Those are dichotomies. Now, when we look at the world, most of the things presented us to us as, as dichotomies are not dichotomies. You have to vote for the Republican or the Democrat, and if you vote for the Libertarian, you're wasting your vote, right? So it's it's you have to do A or B. Wait a minute. First of all, I I, I still can vote for the Libertarian. You're wasting your vote. doesn't matter. I don't have to do this. I don't have to vote. I don't have to vote on all this shit. I might only vote on certain shit at certain times. I don't have to do anything. And we'll start examining some questions we should be asking. It will make you, help you make that decision for yourself. I'm not telling you what to do here. I'm not placing judgments on it. I'm saying that's how you're presented the issue. These people, I won't even give an example because then it will it will lead you to start trying to defend whatever position you've already taken through confirmation of perception bias. So, without naming this group of people, this group of people are bad. So either they are bad or they aren't bad. Well, that's not how that works. That group, how big is it? So some of them might be bad. And what are we defining as bad? Is there anything we can do about that? Maybe there's nothing we can do. Will what we do make it worse if we think we have to just because they're bad? But that's not how that is ever presented. You must choose a side. We are the side of right. If you're opposed to us, bad. That is that is a false dichotomy. That is a false dichotomy. You either have to go to college or you have to have a less fulfilling life. That is a false dichotomy. It is quite possible that the wise person could structure their own independent training or investment or whatever it is in such a way that the average person, if they chose not to go to college, could actually live a far more fulfilling and wealthy life than people that do go to college. A true dichotomy would be, if you want to be a doctor, you've got to go to college, because that's the path that's available. If you mean MD in the modern sense and you want to practice medicine and have the privileges that come with the license of being an MD, then, then you're down to a dichotomy. But unless you're down to that, most other things that you might want to accomplish you don't need college for. College might make it easier, or it might even make it harder. It all depends on how you approach the situation. But what it requires is a thoughtful analysis of, rather than a decision based on two things being A or B. And that's the difference between false dichotomy and true dichotomy. So let's start talking about some questions to ask about any problem or issue. If I could get people to ask the first four questions I'm going to give to you today and nothing more, if I could get the average person to always ask, in fact, I would say the first three questions, Just ask those. First of all, I think a lot of the other things I'm going to say would happen just by logic and reason would lead to these other things if we started there. But if I could just get people, like the majority of people in the country, to always ask themselves these three questions, the entire world would change. Without telling anybody what to think or do and without any expectation of what conclusions they would have, they may have dramatically different conclusions than my own, but we'd have people going out and doing good things instead of being controlled. So the first question would be, is this really important to me, and if so, why? Because so many people are convinced that something's important to them, but they've never asked, answered the second part of the question. If so, why? Why is this important to me? Is it just because I'm outraged? Is it just because I'm outraged? Because we'll give up. And this again, I'm going to challenge you to not go in a defensive mode today. There's a lot of people a couple weeks ago before this whole Vegas shooting happened that it was really important to them that football players stand during the national anthem. Why? Because you're disrespecting soldiers. Hold on. We're, and most of the people saying that were not soldiers. I was a soldier. I have never felt disrespected by someone choosing to exercise the freedoms of choice that I swore to uphold and defend, even when I totally disagreed with what they were doing. And I won't even state whether I agree or disagree with them right now because I want to remain absent from that in your mind. Why is it important to you? If it's only because emotion if it doesn't actually hurt or harm or break or do anything in any way that actually affects your life, or as I like to say, does it affect the temperature of the water in your pool, then you're choosing to be outraged. You can be outraged by things that actually affect you. You can be outraged by things that don't affect you, but they really do hurt somebody, and therefore you have some sort of justifiable outrage but if you're outraged because you're offended, you are on the road to being controlled by somebody else. Because what happens when you're offended is really nothing. As that famous, famous comedian says, you know what happens when you're offended? Nothing. In fact, let me play him right now for you. I'll play this little two-minute outtake, and I'll come back, and we'll keep going through this. Because it's important that we don't get stuck on being offended as being important, because it's not. Here you go. And then we have political correctness,
0: which is is joy that is the other side of health and safety, which is health and safety, which is a small oppression of our physical movement, so we can't do anything without permission from the state. And political correctness is the oppression of our intellectual movement, so no one says anything anymore in case somebody else gets offended. (laughs) What happens if you say that and someone gets offended? Well, they can be offended. (laughs) What's wrong with being offended? When did sticks and stones may break my bones stop being relevant? Isn't that what you teach children, for God's sake? That's what you teach toddlers. He called me an idiot. Don't worry about him. He's a dick. Now you have adults going, I was offended. I was offended. And I have rights. So what? Be offended. Nothing happens. You're an adult. Grow up. Deal with it. I was offended i don 't care. nothing happens when you 're offended there 's nothing I, I went to the comedy show and, and the comedian said something about the lord and, and I was offended and when I woke up in the morning, I had leprosy <laughs> Nothing happens i want to live in democracy, but I never want to be offended again <laughs> well you 're an idiot. How do you make a law about offending people? How do you make it an offence to offend people? Being offended is subjective. That has everything to do with you as an individual, or a collective, or a group, or a society, or a community. Your moral conditioning, your religious beliefs, what offends me may not offend you. And you want to make laws about this? I'm offended when I see boy bands, for God's sake. (laughs) It's a valid offence, I'm offended. They're corporate shills posing as musicians to further a modelling career, and frankly, I'm disgusted. (laughs) What am I going to do? Call the cops? Hello, it's me again. They're on the telly this time. Five of them, that's it. Yeah, white suits, dancing like girls, that's them. Five minutes, I'll be out the front
1: traumatised. Bye. All right, as I come back, I kind of want to stay off the specific issues because the problem with the specific issue in this case, standing for the anthem football player, is topical and timely and makes a good point. But if you're entrenched on that issue, you're probably not very open to discovering anything through examination of it. So if that's you, replace it with a different issue right now that you find absurd that somebody's that upset about. And, and examine that particular issue. But but the, what, I'm, what I'm saying here is if something's important to you only because you're offended, but no one was shot or beaten or stabbed or had their rights violated, then you're being emotionally led instead of logically led. That's not always bad, but it often is, okay, is the way to look at that. The next one is, after you've answered if it's really important to you, and if so, why, because if you, l- l- let's start with that. Let's say if you go, you know what, when I really look at this particular issue, it's not really important to me because I don't have a why, and since I've figured out it's not important, I'm going to stop looking for one. We can stop and put that issue to bed. We just, I, that's not, I don't have time for it. But assuming you've answered that question with, it is important to me and this is why, the next thing you should ask yourself is, how did this come to my attention? How did this come to my attention? In fact, that might actually be the better first question. I think people don't even think about where this thing showed up from. Did the TV tell you? Did your friend tell you? Did the screen that you carry around in the form of a phone with a Facebook post tell Where did this come from? And what you need to be thinking that's additional to this question is, did, did I have any concern about this until somebody told me? Because sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's still important. For instance, maybe you weren't concerned that your house was on fire. But when the smoke alarm goes off and starts beeping because there's smoke and possibly fire, now you need to be concerned because the house, you know, might burn down around you. But there's a lot of issues that tie people's mental capacity up that they never really cared until someone told them that they were supposed to care. And again, that doesn't mean you shouldn't, but it does mean you should say, wait a minute, if this wasn't important yesterday, and I wasn't involved with it yesterday, and I didn't have an opinion on it yesterday, or I didn't give a shit about it yesterday, I didn't care about it, what's different today that I should now? And that is best answered by looking at where it come from? Did you go out and find this information? There's a good chance it matters to you then. But if this information was pushed into your realm of knowledge, there's a good chance that whoever pushed it there wants a reaction from you. And there's no reason to believe that the action, reaction that they're seeking is to your benefit. Next question. What is the source of my knowledge, or I'm sorry, can I actually make any meaningful action as to this issue, and if so, what? In other words, you've determined that it's important to you, and you know why it's important to you. You know how it came to your attention, and you've realized even if it came to your attention because someone has an agenda, it still merits your consideration. But now you're going to say, well, is there actually anything I can do about this that will actually do anything? Because if the answer is no, if the answer is no, and I know somebody went, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. I didn't say you should always do nothing. I asked a question, is there anything you can do that will create any meaningful action in this area? Because if your only thing that you can do is be angry and post memes and yell and scream about it and tell other people they're wrong, the answer to that question is no. If it's upsetting to you, it's okay for it to be upsetting to you. I'm not telling you to be a Vulcan and bury your emotions and pretend it's not upsetting to you. But if you also determine in addition to being upsetting to you, there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do to change it. There's nothing you can do to influence it. There's no way that you can even defend yourself. Like, it's something that upsets you, but it's never actually going to hurt you or take away something from you. And there's nothing you really can do that will matter. Every freaking bit of energy you spend on it from that point forward is wasted when it's not being applied to something that you could make a difference on, whether it's for somebody else or for yourself. Because you can't do two things like this at the same time. One of the biggest ways that they control us is this fact. The American people cannot be truly pissed off and motivated to action about more than one thing at one time. Because that's why you had a week of nothing mattering except the Vegas shooting. That's why the week before that, the only thing that mattered in mass was a debate about the National Anthem. And that's why next week, there'll be something new that will dominate everything. And that's true at the macro level, and it's true down at your level, at the micro level. If you're actually going to take action, you can only take meaningful action on one, maybe two things at the same time. So when you're, when you're tying up your thought process, your anger, your resentment, whatever then you are taking away from what you have available to do about things you can actually affect. So you should shelve it at that point. I'm angry about it, I'm pissed off, but I have other things to take care of now. And if we can get people to ask those three just that, it, it, with no prejudgment on what their answers are, if they would just demand of themselves that they must ask whenever something comes up, whether it's a decision to buy a new bicycle or whether it's a decision to be upset about something the TV said, no matter what it is, in all decision-making process about what they're going to do or think or act on going forward. Is this really important to me? And if so, why? How did this information even come to my attention? And can I actually take any meaningful action as to this issue? If so, what? We would transform the world. And that's why they will never teach those questions to your children in government school. So whether you're doing homeschool, unschool, government school, I don't care what it is, you need to teach your children those three questions to the point where it is a natural thing for them to ask them when anything comes into their life. Without telling them what to think or how to answer them. Just to ask them. Because the mind will mature, the mind will develop, and the mind will find answers when questions are asked. And anything can become a habit. Any good or bad, anything can become a habit. If you get up and do something that's not a habit right now, every morning you make a mental commitment. When I get up, I'm going to do this, whatever it is. You know, fill up a glass with water, drink two sips out of it, and dump it in the sink. I know it doesn't make any sense that you would do that. That, that there's no reason to do that. I'm making a point. If you do that for about a month. It will become a habit. You'll find yourself waking up and just doing it without even thinking about it. I can be good and I can be bad. That habit could be that when I wake up, I'm going to light a cigarette, whether I need one or not. And we know you don't need a cigarette, right? It could be when the day ends, I'm going to have a drink, whether you need one or not. We know you don't need a drink every day. Those can be bad habits. But we can also reinforce good habits so that they're done by almost instinctual levels. And if we start requiring of ourselves, every time time you say, well, I need to make a decision about this, or I'm upset about this, or I think we should do something about this, I'm going to sit down and make myself answer these three questions. What will happen is, after about a month of doing it, the second something comes up, your mind will go to those three questions. And you'll begin the process of actually making a decision for yourself instead of being handed to choices and the person handing you the choice is going to stack the deck so that you will make the choice that they most want you to take. That's what we have to ask how the information came to my attention. And that means we need to then, once we've done that, and we're trying to make that determination, assuming it's gotten past that. This is like the defense, right? Uh, you're, you're, you're actually more like your offensive line on your football team. If they slaughter the defensive line and your running back gets past them, he stops worrying about the, the, the defensive line. He's worried about people down the field now, right? So if we, if it gets past that, if it gets past that and it's still worthy of our attention at this point, now we have to ask ourselves about what our source of knowledge is on this issue. And as we ask that, we have to ask three key things about our sources of knowledge. Number one, do they have an agenda? And I think I'm going to change that in the notes right now. To what is their agenda? Because no matter who they are, they have an agenda. That doesn't see. That's the thing. We we we've destroyed the meaning of words. I think whenever you're answering a question that involves the use of a word, you should examine what the word means. I've told people. I've, I've told that to people. Like, do you want to argue about the definition of a word? Well, if we don't think it means the same thing, then we need to resolve what it does mean to both of us, so we can choose the right words to actually discuss the issue. So I don't want to argue about the definition of words, but I want to make sure that we're on the same page. So, an agenda, we have taken to mean something nefarious. If you have an agenda, it's bad. Well, when I woke up this morning, my first agenda was to put clothes on. That was an agenda. That wasn't a bad thing. Trust me, if I go out in public, you'd prefer that I wear clothes. You'll be much happier. So will I, because I won't go to jail for going out naked. Right. My next agenda became to let the ducks out, to take care of my dogs, to enjoy the 15 minutes of Complete peace and quiet I get every day when Dorothy's gone to go pick the kids up and I'm here alone. I had a, See, that's, that's what agenda means. So your source could have a very benevolent agenda. Your source's agenda could be to report the facts. But if it's the modern media, you know there's a bigger agenda. So we have to say, what is this source's agenda? What do they, what do they hope to accomplish by providing this information or making this case? And again, that doesn't mean they're evil bastards, but it is a reasonable thing to ask. Okay, the next thing then would be, what is their track record? Does this source have a track record of being usually correct, incorrect, having hidden agendas, being nefarious, screwing people over, lying, telling the truth, being noble, being upfront, being honest... Being consistently liberal, being consistently conservative, being consistently neutral, being consistently libertarian. See, it's not about a subjective judgment of that. It is, what is it? And generally, this isn't hard to figure out. And then the next one is, what do other sources say? When we look at our knowledge, and now we're making a determination about what to do based on our knowledge, or what to think, or how to feel, or... Or what action to take or what actions not to take. Then that's what we need to ask about the source of the knowledge. Where do we get the source? You know, what, where do we get the, the information from? And what was that source's agenda? What is their track record in providing such information? And what do other sources say? Specifically sources that disagree. Sources that if you don't examine counter arguments, then you are not fully informed on any decision. Because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. In the words of a a famous writer, it ain't what you don't know that hurts you. It's what you think you know that just ain't so. Right? Well, it's also what you don't know that you don't know. It's not just what you think you know. Because that can get you into some hot water. You think something's true and it's not true. It can hurt you. But it's also true that when you don't know something and don't even know that you don't know it, you can make poor decisions. So you have to examine other sources, counter-arguments on an issue. And if if it's made it this far, it's worth doing. If you haven't said, you know what, yeah, I'm upset about that, there's nothing I can do about it, or this is all bullshit, I don't care, or I don't need to buy this new thing, or this is so obvious, yes, I do, what have you, then you. if you get to that point where you're trying to still make a decision about your opinion... It's worthy of of, of of examining other sources on the argument. Now, there's a point where you're done with that, and it amazes me how people can't accept that you're done with that. But if you only read this book by this guy, I've read lots of books by lots of guys on this subject, and I'm done with it. But no, you and they actually get offended, right? Like the comedian was on uh, Offended that you won't read their one guy or listen to their one thing or watch their one movie or whatever. Look, I've done this. I'm done. And that's because they're stuck in that dichotomic thinking. If I can only make this point, he'll agree with me. And and generally, they don't even know what you think. Because they think you must believe the exact opposite. There's no third or fourth or fifth option that you've probably taken if you've thought this hard about it. So as we move forward, so we've now determined that it is important to us and why it's important. We've determined that We know the source of how it came to our attention. We actually can do something or think something that has some meaning in the world as to how we're going to live our lives or what we're going to do or how we're going to affect it. We know why, we know how we acquired our knowledge, from whom, what that individual's agenda was or what that group's agenda was. We know the track record of the primary place we obtained our initial knowledge, and we've examined competing information. We've examined counter arguments. And we now are at a point where we have looked at this issue to the point where, yeah, we need to figure out, like, what am I going to do? So the next question is simple. With all that behind you, Is this something I want or that I need in my life or my business, etc.? Because remember, this is not just a political decision here. This could be, do I upgrade my software and my business to this new software? And think about it that way, because it's less polarizing, right? So, let's go through this again with the software thing. Is this really important to me? Like, was there anything wrong with the way my business was running before I had this? Yes, well then, if, there's, if my business is running optimally, there's probably things for me to, to look at other than my customer service software. How did it even come to my attention? Some sales guy called me and told me I needed new software. Hmm, I don't know that I need new software. Or, I had a whole shitload of problems because our software's not doing what I needed to do. That came to my attention a totally different way. Ah, I think I'm going to proceed, if that's what it is. Can I actually take any meaningful action as to this issue? If so, what? Of course I can. I can examine other software solutions, and I can look at the consequences of making the, t- the, the, the uh, choice to switch over, including retraining my people, how much it's going to cost me, and what it's likely to do better than what I have now. Or I can choose to, f- to try to fix what I already have, or I can choose to try to train my people to use what I have better, because maybe it's not a software problem, it's a user problem. But I have many meaningful actions I can take. Okay? Okay. What is the source of my knowledge on this issue? My people that bitch they don't like the software, are they using it as an excuse because, as to why they're not making their sales quotas? Or do they have a legitimate grief? The source is going to tell me what to look for. What questions? That, see, the question leads to another question. The source is, the sales guy on the phone, I'm probably hanging up. What is the track record of this source? Are the people that are bringing me this information consistently solving these problems or consistently having these problems or consistently good in a, like if it's my employees are they good at everything except the things that they need to use the software for? They show up on time they always tell me the truth they don't bullshit on catch them screwing around on Facebook when they're supposed to be working I go in and they're actually having problems with the software well, okay if their track record is a bunch of screw ups I need to replace them I don't need to worry about the software what do other sources say? So if I have some, like if I've gone down this path, and I'm considering adding, you know, switching over to this software, I want to talk to people that are using the software now, and I don't want the five that the salesman wants to give me that are his best friends that he takes to play golf. I want independent information. And then I'm re- see since how logical this is. If I do all that with software, I'm really equipped at that point to say, is this something I want or need in my business? So why wouldn't you do that with something highly emotional, like a political opinion as well? Be logical about that which is otherwise emotional, and you might have more grounding. And you might come to the same conclusion that you already have. I'm not going to argue with you about that if you went through the process to get there. But if you've just snapped to a response, I'm going to challenge you to rethink it. Does that make sense? And do you understand why this is not being taught in schools? Do you understand how dangerous these words are that I'm speaking? I know it just sounds like, oh, it's just like, you know, some kind of uh, lecture or something. No, do you understand how dangerous these concepts are? Do you understand how dangerous a, the millennial generation would be to the power elite if instead of not learning how to fix a cabinet, run a screwdriver, or a hammer, they been spending their time not learning those things. They have spent their time being taught to think the way that we are talking about today. Instead, the millennial generation is a tool of the power elite. Probably the best tool they've ever had. They're the most easily manipulated generation at all time. And I know some of you are part of it and you're angry with me right now. Don't be. I'm not saying every one of you. I only need to manipulate 51% of you to get what I want. You tell me that there's, there's, there's more than 51% of you who can think for yourselves independently. In any generation, let alone the millennial generation. My point here isn't to put you down. It's how dangerous would it be for the people in power if this was critical thinking caught to children in school. It is more dangerous than any revolution could ever be. Next, if this has never been an issue for me before, does it really matter now? Somehow this made it all the way through all of this analysis. But in the end, you're, you're basically what you're doing now is you're checking yourself. Wait a minute. Did this salesman convince me of all this shit? Do I really need to do this? Do I really need to put my people through being retrained on a new software platform or we just need to tweak and fix a few things with procedure? Have I been caught up in something and made emotional about it because we lost an account that's been blamed on a software glitch that maybe it was an account we were going to lose anyway. And if I remove that one aberration from the equation in the decision-making process, can I look at any other place this really has affected us? And oh boy, that af- applies to politics. But I'm sticking with the business decision because it's less emotional, isn't it? You're not upset. Some of you were upset when I brought up the NFL and the anthem and the, and the flag. And now you're not upset about this. It's the same analysis. I didn't tell you what to think when we talked about the other thing. I didn't tell you what decision to make. told you what questions to ask yourself. Don't be pissed at me for that. A lot of times when you tell people, like, this is how you should analyze something, and they get angry, they start to realize what their answer will be, and they don't like the result because it's counter to what they believe intrinsically by emotion, not intuition, as our friend Einstein would say, but by emotion, and they end up with cognitive dissonance. Which is the mental discomfort of when new information doesn't match the paradigm you've latched onto. Which in some cases might be our software is the best or blind patriotism. Pattern recognition is the same process. So at this point in the process, we need to check ourselves. If, 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 I, I've gotten this far, but man, wait a minute. Did I think I needed to do this or think this way last Thursday? If not, what really changed? Is it my perception or is it reality? You're checking yourself. If you don't check yourself multiple times when making a decision, you're going to make poor decisions. Sooner or later, emotion will get the best of you. Okay? And then we're going to move on to problems, needs, and wants. And we need to define what we're dealing with. Is it a problem, is it a need, or is it a want? Is it that I want this new fangled gadget because I like it? Is it that I want this new thing in my business because I just like the idea of it influencing my company's culture? Or do we need it? We're losing accounts. If we don't fix this hole, we're going to go out of business. Well, we need that. We need that. Problem is... I have this problem in my business, it is costing us accounts, but it's, it's not going to sink our company. There's ways around it and adapt to it, and I need to solve the problem from one medium or another. And when we break things down like that, we get a very clear picture of our action or our decision about what to think, depending on which one it's going to be. So some questions we ask within the realm of problems, needs, and wants are, what happens if we do nothing? A lot of times we get into a point where we've been convinced we have to do something. We have to do something. Think of the children, whatever, right? You know, you have to ask yourself, what would really go terribly wrong if we didn't do anything right now? Now, we can't use this as an excuse for paralysis when something needs to be done. But we should ask the question, like, if I don't do this three weeks from now, what will be the results of doing nothing? so that we can at least compare it to all the other choices, what we expect the results to be, based on solid knowledge and dissenting opinion, that we can actually make a legitimate comparison as to whether that something will even be an improvement. It might make things worse. The other thing is, do we already have something to deal with this? Is there some asset or some mechanism... Or some reality that already takes care of this issue? Again, I don't want to bring up specifics because it polarizes people. Just think of the concept. And think about asking this in every single place that you've been polarized to believe something or convinced that you need to buy something or told that you need to back something or told that you need to oppose something or told that you need to abstain for something or told that you need to participate. It doesn't matter what. Do we already have something to deal with this? Is there already an existing solution to this problem? And just because that solution failed in this instance doesn't mean that it doesn't generally work and it doesn't mean that anything we do differently will be any better. So it pushes us back to what happens if we do nothing? But in this case, we might figure out that this existing asset is being improperly utilized. We need to hire someone to help us increase sales wait a minute, one of our greatest customer service people has a track record of upselling people without even knowing that's his job. Maybe we need to give him more of a sales responsibility instead of going out and hiring an unknown. That way, if that doesn't work out, he really doesn't move out of his position of customer service unless we decide he's better at what we have him doing now and then we move him out. It's much easier to replace a CSR or customer service rep than it is a salesperson. So we're going to trial balloon this, give him some responsibilities, and if it looks like it's really going to take, we're going to make a transition for him. That would be an answer to, do we have something to deal with this already? Next, is it really a problem? Now, I know that sounds redundant, and it is because we are once again checking ourselves. You'll notice multiple points. We ask different questions that cut to the same heart of the issue. Is this really a problem? Is this really a problem? Back to the software. We lost an account. We're going to lose some accounts. Do we have a pattern of account loss? Was it our biggest account that we can specifically say is related to this thing that we think we're going to change to fix it? You can apply that to gun control. You can apply that to politics. You can apply that to economics. You can apply that anywhere. Is this really a problem? If we say yes... Well then we just go straight back to it. If we start to if we start asking ourselves when we when we every time we do one of these checks on ourselves, well I don't really know. Well shit, if you don't know this deep into this process, if it really is a problem, it probably isn't. It probably isn't. I'll give you a business example of this. Back when I did Uh, business consulting, and some of the things that we did with business consulting were things like search engine optimization and things like that. Uh, I go talk to this guy, and he's pissed. He's pissed. And he's pissed, and it's some weird search term with real estate. Like something no one would probably ever look for anyway. But he believes it's how people will find him online, even though when I research it, There's like one person a month searching for it, and it's probably him because he's obsessed with this. When he runs this search on, at the time, MSN Search, which became Bing and was other, whatever, right? Microsoft Search Engine. The first person listed is a competing real estate guy that he hates, and he thinks this guy's an asshole. Okay? And he's absolutely livid. The MSN search has the audacity to put this guy there instead of him for that term. And he's not even on the page. Okay. This is not a problem. And that's what I had to tell the guy. First of all, you're looking at the least used search engine known to man. And one of the least searched terms known to man. And the fact that he's there has to do with the computer algorithm that going back through this decision-making process, you really can't do anything about. Now, we can we can probably spend time and money and resources and push your website or a page of your website to where when somebody searches for this term on MSN Search, they'll find your page, and you know what will happen? That one guy that's you that's searching for that term will see it and feel better. But we haven't solved a problem. We've made a problem worse. You're, and, and I think maybe another way to look at it, is it really a problem, and if not, what is the real problem? The reason you have me here, the reason you have me here, is because you're not getting as much business as you think you should be getting in the current market. And this thing is not the reason for that problem. So spending any time, money, or resources on this thing will make the actual problem worse. Oh my god, does that apply to the political theater and to the ass clown circuses, right? And again... Dangerous, dangerous teaching. You teach children this, and they become, by the time they're young adults, impossible to manipulate. Or I would say not impossible, highly difficult to manipulate. Highly difficult to manipulate. They're going to arrive at their own decisions if they think this way. The next one. Is it a need or a want? And if it's only a want, how bad do I want it? It's another check question. I've gotten this far with it, and so now do I I need to act, or do I need to purchase, or do I just want it? And if I want it, how bad do I want it, and why? This is a, this is a point where we want to gut-check ourselves from a standpoint. Do I want this due to emotion? Do I want this because I think it's cool? Right? This is a good one for your kid when they want to buy something. You want to buy this because your friend has one? Does your friend let you use his all the time? Maybe you should buy something else. Let him use it, because then you have both. Otherwise, you have two of something, and you need two people to play with, and he's the only one that plays you with it, plays with you with it. Things like that, right? But it applies to very big things as well. Do I want, and it could be an issue you're making, a decision about where you stand on it. Even though you can't change the issue, it's important to you where you stand on the issue. So if you figure out at this point where you've deluded yourself that I just want to believe this, you need to start all over again. You need to start all over again. Because I guarantee you, you've deceived yourself. And when you get to your final position, you won't be secure in it, and you'll still get angry when you're challenged. When you're secure in a position, you don't get angry when you're challenged. You get intellectual when you're challenged. Now, when somebody says something completely effing stupid, you might say, you know what, you're an idiot. And I'm not going to waste any time or energy. Or you're a troll. You're an idiot or a troll or an idiot troll, and I have no time for you. I'm not going to play the game of chess where the pigeon shits on the board and struts around like it won. I'm not doing that. I'm not wasting my time and energy. You can throw out all your troll hooks you want. I'm not biting. That happens. But when somebody makes a legitimate and somewhat... And, you know, informed, or at least even if ill-informed, with belief that they've been informed, claim that's counter to your claim, you get intellectual. You have no problem refuting the central point from your position of knowledge and experience if you've gotten that far. And if you can't refute the central point, then you begin to descend in the hierarchy of disagreement and you end up places like ad hominem and name calling. Or you end up in positions where you're not even rising to counter-argument. Instead of rising at least to counter-argument, what you do instead are things like respond to the tone. I don't like the way that you presented that. I can present factual information like a complete dick. right? And I can legitimately be an asshole when I do it. And when you attack the tone it doesn't do anything to refute the central argument, which is the, which is what you should be doing if you want to counter-argue. right? But you move from there to what's called contradiction. This is where someone at least... Because I'm telling you, name-calling, ad hominem, and responding to tone are the number one responses I see by both the left and the right with issues being debated online and offline. Contradiction is where people at least rise to the point of stating the opposing case though they provide little or no supporting evidence for it. They just say, you're wrong because I think this. Okay, at least we've begun a discussion. Anything below that is not worthy of response. The next level is what we call counter-argument. This is when you contradict and then back up with reasoning and or some supporting evidence. When we come up from there, we get to refudiation. Refutation is where, in addition to backing up with evidence, our counter-argument, we also find mistakes in the, in the, in the opposing opinion and explain why those are mistakes using evidence, sources, quotes, etc. Here's your flawed logic, and I'm not just going to tell you you're wrong. I'm going to show you, with factual information, how you're wrong and why you're wrong and why I feel that my argument is better than yours, and then what you really want to see—these are all levels. Like when you're dealing with opinions, refutation is about as high as you can go. That's the that's that's the the highest level you can achieve when you're dealing with something that's an opinion. Does God or not? Does God exist or does God not exist? Regardless of what I believe, about the highest point we can go is to refutation in a, deb- a debate. If you're an atheist, and I'm a deist, and I claim God exists, and you claim God doesn't exist, we can only get to refutation. We cannot get to refuting the central point. Refuting the central point is reserved for facts. When one side can conclusively prove that what they're claiming is fact. If we were arguing about whether or not I have fish tanks in my office, if you were foolish enough to take that position, I could easily refute your central point by showing you the fish tanks in my office. Or if you claimed X number of people died in, in, in Y city last year from cause Z, and I could look up the fact that that is not true from, let's say, statistics from the, the, the Center for Disease Control, that that did not happen, and we have a record that we can examine, then I can refudiate your central point. Or if I say you're wrong, that did not occur, and you can go out and prove conclusively with evidence, right, that proves your claim, then you can refudiate my point that you're wrong. And only when we have sufficient evidence to draw a completely logical conclusion based on evidence that's so overwhelming. That the fact is indeed a fact. We have moved from the world of theory to law. Gravity. You drop shit, it falls. You can tell me we don't know what gravity is, I'll agree with you, but you can't tell me that gravity doesn't make shit fall. And if you doubt me, I'll stand in front of you, I'll hold a 16-pound bowling ball over your foot, and I'll drop it, and we'll watch gravity work together. And you will become a believer about the time that that ball tries to occupy the same space as your foot, which is a physical impossibility, and there has to be a reaction. And it's going to be you leaping in the air and bitching really loud because it hurts. All right? That is that is how we have beneficial discussion and beneficial debate. And if we can't get to counter-argument, refutation or the central point being refuted, then we cannot have anything approaching an effective debate. And when you can have an effective debate with people, you do not get angry. You get logical. And this process leads you to that. It doesn't entrench you. It empowers you in your positions. All right? Um, And then you have to ask yourself another check, check your gut question. After all of this shit, you have to stand back from everything you think you know and say, how much of my bias is at play here? Like, is the position I'm at now almost identical to the position I began with? And if so, did I really tick all the boxes along the way or did I let confirmation bias take me to the position I had already predetermined for myself? And if you feel like a lot of your bias is at play, then you have to go through the process again until you feel that you've gotten there without bias leading you there. And then when we've done all of that, now we have to define for ourselves, do I know that this is true, or do I believe that this is true? Have I reached a point where I'm willing to make what we can only call a leap of faith, and I'll stay entrenched in a leap of faith until you can prove me wrong? Or have I arrived at a point that I know is bulletproof fact? Bulletproof fact would be, there's a fire there, and if I stick my hand in it, it will burn the shit out of my hand. I'm going to make a concrete decision that I am not sticking my hand in that fire. A belief would be, I'll use an issue that I have a belief in, we should have no further gun control laws in America. I believe that, and I've done this process on that question. However, I don't absolutely, positively, 100% know that that is the best decision. It is the best decision that I can come to based on this process. So at some point, I have to realize That is my opinion. That is not a fact. That is my opinion. I believe it is a very well-reasoned opinion backed with lots of facts and lots of evidence, but it is still a point that I have settled on as an opinion. And throwing talking points at it, or how many people Stalin killed, doesn't prove my opinion. It supports my opinion. And most people are uncomfortable admitting that, to admit that they are agnostic on the issue. So we think of agnostic means, well, there might be a God and there might not be a God. I don't really know. That's not what agnostic means. You either believe in God or you don't believe in God. And you either are smart enough to know that you're agnostic. In other words, you can't have knowledge and therefore you have faith one way or the other. Or you claim to be gnostic where you know that which cannot be known. Most of the decisions that we make, by the time we get to the end of it, you are not going to have full knowledge. You're going to have as much knowledge as is possible in the situation to make the best decision you can based on your opinion that is backed by the facts and the logical process behind them. And that makes you able to adapt when new information comes in, either to refute it or to adapt it and adjust accordingly. Otherwise, you're under the control of whoever moves the information around. Whether you oppose it or agree with it doesn't matter because remember it's a dichotomy stupid and as long as you're on one side of it, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. Their goal is to have us as close to a 50-50 split as possible on every major issue or decision in this country and in the world in fact because then all they have to do is just move a few people from this side to that side whenever they want to accomplish something. If you had people with tremendous diversity in opinion and everybody working toward actual solution and engaging in constructive debate, they wouldn't be in charge of shit. We would. See? And I'll tell you what, those of you that master this process, you'll realize, in the words of Robert Anton Wilson, you are the power elite. You are in control. And no matter how hard they try to control you, you are outsmarting them and when everybody's bitching about it, it would only be better if they were in charge. You know they're really in charge, and you know that you're really in charge, and you live your own life in your own world, somewhat divorced from their bullshit. That's what I'm trying to teach you. Next, on knowledge versus belief. What if anything would change my mind on this thing? Is there anything that anybody could ever say in any way, shape, or form that would change the opinion that I have on this? And if the answer is no, I really hope you're dealing with a fact first an opinion. Now, I, there's a lot of those that I would answer if, with, I don't believe there is. But there might be. But there might be. I'm not even sure what it would be. But if 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 you, if you believe something, you say, well, if, if God himself showed up and went, hey, I'm God... And you're wrong. You'd still go, no, I'm not. You haven't really gone through this process right. You haven't gone through this process right, okay? Um, And the next is, is this something I was trained to believe or a decision that I made? That's your final gut check. Including something that you went through this whole process with and you believe at the end, "I've, I've finally made this decision. I'm finally right about this decision. I'm finally comfortable in this decision. If you go back and say, but you know what? In the end, I was trained to believe this. It might be worth going through the whole thing again. So my final thoughts on this. This seems like very laborious. It seems very difficult. It seems like it's it's something that would take a lot of time. But not if you make it a habit. And you could even change my questions and make your own questions. As long as you develop a process... That keeps the heart of this decision-making process. What will happen is when something comes up, you'll start doing it. You'll just start doing. It. I mean, the first thing is most shit won't get past the first three. They won't. You'll say, "Well, is this really important to me?" No, I don't give a shit. Done. Now your mind can do all the other important shit in your life. Or you'll say, "Yeah, it is." Well, how did I? How did I find out about this? Huh? That's going to make you think a lot of different things when you when you really think about. Well, where did this come from? You're going to go back. You're going to go back and re-examine. Is this really important to me? I said it was, but since I know where it came from, and I didn't go find it myself, uh, can I actually do anything about this? Will my actions or my outrage accomplish anything? If, If if it can't get through those three. You spend your time and your effort on the things that actually you can influence. This is back to the just the basic old, you know, your sphere of influence or your circle of influence and your circle of knowledge or your circle of concern, right? There's a whole shitload of things that concern me. But man, I'm going to spend most of my time and I'm going to strive to spend all of my time on the things that I actually have influence over. And then the rest of this stuff just makes you make good decisions within that smaller circle. That's what this is really all about. And I know it sounds somewhat extreme or, or what have you to claim this, but these are dangerous words. These are dangerous actions. These are dangerous thoughts. This might be the most dangerous thing to the people in power that you could ever teach anybody. And here's the beauty of it. You don't have to convince them of anything that you believe as being true, to teach them this. It is okay for a person to go through this process and and every single time arrive at the exact opposite decision that you had. It's okay. Because in the end, most people will come to very similar conclusions over time. And at least we'll have this concept of the experiments of liberty going on individually, even if the state wants nothing to do with it. Where people will be uh, pro- not just proposing solutions, but taking action with solutions. Because they're going to come to a whole bunch of shit where I think this is a good solution, I'm going to tell people about it, no one wants to do it, well screw it, I'll go do it myself, or I can't do that one, I'll go find one that I can do. And and, and that undermines the power elite, at a level that is difficult to even comprehend. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you did, one of the ways you can help support our show is really, really easy. And that's just to do your online shopping through tspaz.com. When you've gone through this process, you're like, I'm going to buy this thing. Go buy it at tspaz.com because you were going to do it anyway. And you support us and there's no money out of your pocket that you weren't going to spend anyway. Because it doesn't cost any more to go to T-SPAS. What you'll see there is a whole bunch of reviews that we do for products on Amazon and a link where you can just get on over to Amazon, see their deals of the day, and shop for anything you want. All right. And today's product is one that I made a very informed decision about: it's the WAHL, W-A-H-L Senior Professional Clippers. This is something my barber uses. But here's how I came to this: like, here's my source of information: a professional. So I was getting my haircut right before we went on vacation because about once every three months I get my haircut. It's about the point where Dorothy'll say something like this, Jack. What? Jack? What? Jack? You look like that guy they put on on the news about twice a year. What guy? I know what she's saying, right? So the guy that ran out in the woods, it's hiding from everybody in the middle of the mountain. And I'm like, I'm a survival guy. That's what I'm supposed to look like. She's like, no, you're not. You, live in, you know, <laughs> I, want, I want my husband to look good when we go out or whatever. And, and I, I tease her with it. And, I, and I'll break down and go get my hair cut and I'll trim my beard up and all. So that had happened, you know, and we we're going on vacation. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm overplaying a little bit. I, I like to look good for my wife. So as good as I can anyway. So I, I go to my barber and I have her trimming my beard up and everything for me and i'm lamenting the fact that my 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 latest beard trimmer has has crapped the bed again and uh, i've been through like 3 and 5 years and i don't trim my beard very often obviously and she goes get one of these and she hands me this you know these clippers she's using on my hair and my beard and it's like i could beat somebody to death with this heavy duty thing and i'm like really she goes yeah like you know you can get this particular one and it will you know i, I we use them every day You know, all day long, I work six days, she's like, work six days a week, and I've never seen one break. And we use it more in a year than you'll use in your life. I'm like, well, and I'm looking at this professional quality thing, and I'm like, so what are these, like, three, four hundred bucks? She goes, oh, like, 80, 90 dollars, something like that. She's like, get this 8501, it'll have all the attachments you'll use, and none of the crap you won't know what to do with. And uh, so I go home, and I I check out Amazon, and this thing, you know, it was 86 bucks, So I ordered it. It comes with all these different size attachments to control how long your hairs are. And I shaved the beard with it. And, man, this thing just goes through like butter. And, man, is it heavy duty. And if you have somebody in your home you're comfortable with doing haircuts, this is what you want. This is what professional barbers use for 86 bucks. I will go to my barber when I get my hair cut. I, I love my wife, I don't trust her to cut my hair. Oh man, it does a good job on the beard. And I just got tired of buying another product for fifty to sixty bucks when I could buy one for eighty and not have to buy it ever again. So it's called the Wall Senior 8501 Professional Clippers. The next time you're in the market for something to cut hair or trim beards or whatever it is, check this thing out, put it through your decision making process we talked about today, and I'm pretty comfortable you're gonna come down with it because what was the source of my information? A person who's a professional that uses this tool every single day who made no money to sell it to me, so she has no agenda. That's that's making a good decision. Anyway, Wall Senior 8501 Professional Clippers. That brings us to our song of the day. And once again, John Adam hits a home run with uh, picking a song. The song is called Myself at Last by Graham Nash. Now, who's Graham Nash? Um, a lot of people are like, I don't know Graham Nash. Graham Nash is part of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, right? Crosby, Stills, Nash, and then it was Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, right? So Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Graham Nash. This is actually a new song. It came out in 2016, and it's called, again, Myself at Last. And uh, here's what it says on Song Facts about it. Graham Nash tackles aging in this track. He told Uncut the lyrics are, What you'll think about, it's me, laid bare, finally, com- finally comfortable with being who I am which is a big part of what I expected when I heard this title of this song, because I'd never heard this song before. But it's also some lamentation about being old and not being able to go back. Let me give you some of the lyrics here and talk about how they fit in with today. Light is slowly fading, and the night comes on so fast. That's metaphorical, folks. That's not the actual night. That's the night that is the human lifetime, being born in the dawn and dying in a stroke of midnight. The so night comes on so fast. I'm drowning in my dreams. It's so hard to fight the past. When all is said and done, it's so hard to count the cost. When I'm rolling down this lonesome road to lose myself at last. And the day that breaks before me may never be surpassed. And the question haunting me, is my future Just my past. So I'm screaming at the universe. Just enough to make her laugh. And I'm rolling down this lonesome road. To lose myself at last. And with everything I've ever done. Well I've tried to be my best. But everyone I've ever known. Has been some kind of test. When everything is said and done. It's so hard To find what's lost, I'm rolling down this lonesome road to lose myself at last. My dreams are only memories, but they're all gone by so fast. I was drifting on an ocean blue like a ship without a mast, and then you came and rescued me, and you saved my soul at last. From rolling down this lonesome road to find myself at last. I'm rolling down this lonesome road, and I've found myself at last. I've found myself at last. So this is lamenting age, but it's also being at peace with it. Let me tell you how you are at peace when you realize you're closer to the end of your life than it's beginning. When you can look back and say that what I did mattered. That the things that I gave my dash to that little dash that will stick between the day you were born and the day you die on your tombstone or your your plaque or wherever it is or just your obituary in the paper, when you gave that dash to things that mattered, to things that made life better for somebody or somebodies, when the world is just a little bit better for you having been a part of it, then you can find yourself at the end of that race And be at peace with who you are. And in fitting with today's show, if you spend most of your life upset about, arguing about, and fighting things that you have no control over and no influence over, and believing things based on emotion instead of facts and logic, and contributing to the argument instead of the solution, it's a hard thing to find yourself near the end of that race and be at peace with who you are. But if you can look back and really say, the world is a little bit better because I was in it. There are people who have a little bit more because I helped them. There are people that will do things so that others will have more because I helped them. I have done the best that I could with what I had. I didn't make excuses. Then in the end, you can find yourself. And be at peace with who you are. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. The
2: light is slowly fading, and the night comes on so fast. the past When all is said and done It's so hard to count the cost When I'm Yes.